What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Deer Vein Podcast, and this episode is specifically part of the Whitetail Series segment within my podcast. The Whitetail Series is 27 episodes in total, nine based around the early season, nine based around the pre-rut and rut, and nine based around the late season. So if you're having problems in one of those sections of the seasons, just sit down, binge these episodes. You'll get a lot of tips, a lot of tactics, a lot of strategies, You know, different types of places and areas to hunt and different types to try public land and private land, and you just get a lot of information and hopefully a lot of entertainment. I have guests on here from the Midwest, the East, and the South, so you're gonna it's going to likely retain relevancy for everybody. And then also these podcasts are going to be airing two to four weeks in advance of that section of the season so that you should be able to use the tactics that you listen to this year in your season this fall. So I hope it's a huge value to you guys. I really wanted to do it for myself, and I thought this would be a great share for everybody else. I also have a couple partners with this one, Onyx Hunt and Arrow Hunter Saddles. A couple great companies helping me advertise and push this out to everybody and just hopefully make everybody a better hunter and more successful this fall. Onyx Hunt, if you don't know, is a GPS mapping app where you get satellite maps, uh, topo maps, hybrid maps. It shows public and private land boundaries, which is a big reason that I got it. But uh, you can add waypoints, trails, all that kind of stuff as well. But the biggest reason I got it is because it works offline. A lot of the places I hunt don't have data, don't have service. So I can cache all those maps on my phone, walk around, and I still have all my waypoints. I can still use my GPS. And then as far as Arrow Hunter saddles go, like for me, Arrow Hunter saddles makes the most comfortable saddle, the Kestrel Flex. The Merlin just came out. Um, and if you're getting into saddle hunting or you want to try it, I really encourage you to take a look at them. Like I, like I said, I tried a few different saddles on. And the Kestrel Flex just fit me the best and was the most comfortable. And um, I, I, I really like them and most adjustable. Also, they're 100% made in the USA, which is a phenomenal piece. Um, I'm a big USA supporter. And if I can get keep all those jobs here in the US, I will for sure. So uh, go check those guys out if you're looking into saddles. Also use the code DVAIN10, that's the letter D and then VAIN, then the number's one zero at checkout and you'll get 10% off a saddle. All right. Without further ado, let's hop into the podcast. All right. What's up, everyone? We got uh, Jeremy and Dimitri from Antler Up Outdoors in Central PA. They hunt a mix of public and private land, and we are dumping into the early season. Uh, just for frame of reference and everything, Jeremy, Dimitri, can you guys give a little bit of background on, on talk about Antler Up a little bit and where people can find you? I always like to do that in the beginning and at the end. Yeah, sure. But then also... Uh, you know, a little bit of background on you guys. Yeah, no problem. So, uh, Jeremy and, uh, you know, owner of Antler Up and, uh, we have Dimitri here and he'll get into his story, but man, I'm uh, 33 years old. I'm a phys ed teacher in uh, central Pennsylvania and grew up hunting kind of like everybody else, just the whole, uh, family, you know, always looking forward to, uh, that hunting season with your father and grandfather and uncles, all that stuff. And, uh, so grew up in northeastern Pennsylvania, actually. So just like south of Scranton. So everybody knows where Scranton is from the office. So I'm like sure. half hour south of that, basically, where I grew up. And uh, uh, man, it, it it was always, uh, I, for me, just between sports and, and hunting, that was like the big thing for me to do growing up. And uh, I talk about it a lot on, on our podcast and even on our website. Uh, so, you know, there's the plug there, antlerupoutdoors.com. <laughs> and uh, yeah, man, so we... Uh, 
I talk about that where, you know, growing up, it, it was either chasing girls, chasing deer and, and, you know, chasing sports. So there are the three big things in, in my life. And, you know, as I got older, the, the chasing girls and chasing sports would kind of took over more so than hunting. And, uh, so like once school came about when I went to Penn state, uh, you know, played some baseball and everything and kind of took a back seat and, you know, you still met friends that hunted and, I uh, still, I think my freshman year in college, I did it, but it, you know, it just wasn't the same. And then, uh, man, for me, life kind of took over and struggled finding a job after school. And I worked in a different industry, went back to school. So dude, finally, like once life settled down for me at like 20, I'd say about 24, uh, 25 ish, I finally, you know, said to my dad, I'm like, Hey, I'm going to come in hunting. Like, let's get back into it. And he was all for it. I mean, he always continued, never stopped. And my brother, younger brother, he always hunted with him. And, uh, so it, I got right back into it. And that first year again, shot a deer. And <laughs> so it was like hooked again. You know what I mean? It was, yeah. it was like a lucky tree, tree, uh, tree stand spot. So, uh, shot a uh, really nice eight there and rifle. And I said to my dad, I'm like, man, you know, as those years progress, I'm like, man, I, I want to get a bow again. I want to get a bow again. So once I got at my first job, I was able to buy, bought like a PSE stinger, like ready to hunt bow just to, to start flinging arrows again. And, uh, you know, I just progressed and became obsessed with it again. And, sure. you know, the kind of, you know, now at 33 years old, it, it, the past year, we're legit just a, a year into antler up. Uh, you know, I've, Dimitri and I have been hunting the last three years together uh, just here in central Pennsylvania, because, you know, I, I always hunted private land back at home in Northeast PA. So I would hunt public with him. And so we, we got a chance to get really close uh, cause he's actually cousins with my wife. So we had that, you know, really close hit opportunity and, uh, hunted a lot. And we just always talked about, it. I just said, Hey man, like I love watching reviews online and just doing stuff. I, I want to just step up and just maybe just start filming, you know, some of my hunts and he did it growing up. Uh, so I'm sure he'll talk about that, but, uh, kind of just went from let's start a little bit of hunt showing some gear videos. Cause I love talking gear. I love, um, I'm a friggin' gear junkie at heart and, uh, <laughs> that's an understatement. <laughs> yeah, that's an understatement. And, uh, man, and, and, uh, went from there to Dimitri said like, let's start a podcast like one day and let's talk about Pennsylvania and it kind of just grew into, you know, we didn't want to just pigeonhole ourselves just with Pennsylvania stuff. And there's phenomenal people and individuals and topics that we could cover. But, you know, I, I I'm like a social butterfly and I, I, you know, if I could get a chance to meet and talk to people about hunting and learn and teach whatever it is, I, I, that, that's what I'm down for. And Dimitri follows suit as well. So and here we are with Antler Up Podcast and, you know, our channel and Instagram and, you know, meeting people. And that's been my favorite thing so far is just listening to other people's stories and uh, the way they hunt and introducing their strategies. Because I would say the last, you know, even like I said, probably since Dimitri and I started hunting, I, it changed, man. That's what, you know, we'll get into about that early season because, and we'll talk about that. But man, that's, that's kind of where I'm at personally, you know, with Antler Up. I love it. And, uh, uh, man, I'm, I'm pumped to be here. So thanks for having us on. Yeah, you bet. So, uh, my name is Dimitri. I mean, I've been hunting all my life. Um, you know, and here in Pennsylvania, you can't start hunting to your 12. Um, that since changed since we grew up. So now they have the mentor program. So as long as you have someone with a license, 
Um, and at a younger age, you can go out with them. They have to carry the gun, but you are able to harvest the animal yourself and they have to use their tag. So pretty cool stuff that they changed into over the years. Um, but I mean, as a 12 year before I was 12, it, it always killed me um, watching my dad and, and some of my uncles and uh, their friends go out and I had to stay at home watching them, you know, especially <laughs> they're mostly rifle hunters at the time too, you know, with, PA rifle hunting was more traditional thing to do than archery, um, which I think has since changed a little bit over the years. Uh, but grew up hunting, loved it, you know, always watch the outdoor channel, you know, growing up in high school, that's what I wanted to do was film hunts. And, you know, I remember talking when I was 16, I actually emailed Bossy Oak and said, what do I need to do if I want to film hunts? And they kind of just send back a generic response saying, you know, just film your hunts and, you know, if you want to do some film school and just try to get as much experience um, as you can and then just try to work your way through the door. So there wasn't much guidance there. So I really didn't have a set <laughs> game plan. So that's not the route I went to. Um, so I'm actually a physical therapist now. I work for Penn State Sports Medicine. Uh, but, you know, in college, again, like most people, hunting took a back seat. So... I wasn't able to hunt as much. I played Division One football the first year of college at the University of Maryland, um, but then didn't really care for the big city scene. So I transferred to Edinburgh University, which is a small town, a lot of farm fields outskirts of town. And I actually met one of my friends, uh, Marcus, who was on the football team as well, who uh, leased the farm right outside of town. Uh, so we quickly became best friends. So, you know, I mean, before, yeah, I know that's what I mean. I mean, he has, I, I forget how many acres it is, but it's probably a couple hundred acre farm field that he's able, you know, that someone farms and, and they lease to hunt it, which is right in his back door. So I always kept my stuff at his house and after class we'd roll out there. So um, that was awesome. It's just because when I was at college, the worst thing, especially during that rifle season, was sitting in class and having my dad send me pictures of deer that they put down. <laughs> I mean, it just killed me and crushed me. But, you know, now out of school and able to hunt more and, I mean, just love it. So, especially with the podcast, like he talked about, I always wanted to start a podcast once they kind of became more popular just because, you know, there's nothing more than I like to do is, you know, one, sit around, drink beer, and two, tell hunting stories. I mean, that's what we, what hunters do, you yeah, know. Like right. you said, we could go on for hours and hours of just talking hunting, and that's what we wanted to do, you know. Whether people want to listen to us or not, at least I get the, the chance to BS with different hunters throughout the industry and kind of pick their brains a little bit and make myself a better hunter. So um, just yeah. loving this experience and, and just keep progressing as we move forward. Nah, that's good. I appreciate the big background. I would be joining you with beer. I got this little bubbly here right now. <laughs> it was, uh, I was on a uh, bachelor party this weekend and I'm just not, uh, it's Monday right now and I'm not yeah. really in the mood. <laughs> so no, much. Recovering. The smell of alcohol will make you throw up probably. <laughs> right for any more booze. Yeah. It's just like, uh, I just need food and food and water and gator. <laughs> French fries and chicken fingers, man. You're right. Exactly. Um, but no, yeah, no, like great background there. So, um, so it's cool, Jeremy, that you're kind of what 33. So that's seven or eight years into, if I do my math, nine years, um, kind of back into bow hunting and you're really yeah. getting after it. Yeah, which man. Provides a great perspective because 
a lot of the people that, that listen to this podcast and even people in, in general, you know, even the seasoned hunters can learn something new because a lot of the new hunters that I meet, they try things and they think about things totally different than a seasoned person. They're like, you know, and they just bring a totally new perspective to things. Um, so, you know, when we, this, this podcast is based around kind of early season. So in general, what are you guys looking at? Like, what are your early season hunting strategies? Are you guys just going after food sources? Are you going after food plots? Um, what are you guys looking at or how do you guys tackle the early season? You know, for, for me, uh, I mean, even to kind of to go back just that little, little bit, uh, you know, growing up, I, I always loved going archery hunting. Like my, the first deer that I ever shot, I was 13 with, uh, with the bow. I mean, I was 12 with a rifle, uh, but my first whitetail that I shot w- was a doe with the bow when I was 13. And man, I, that's where I was hooked. Like I still could visualize and sense the way my legs uh, lost their feeling and just shook in the tree, man. Uh, yeah. Everyone you know, remembers their first Yeah, tree. Exactly. And so I, 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 when I think about that moment, uh, to where it kind of progressed as, as through the ages, uh, through over time and to when I got back into it, when I got my bow, you know, for me, it was always like, let's just go put meat in the freezer. Like, let's go find a doe. You know, I, I was in that mentality just because of, you know, even Dimitri's talked about like that gun season was like the rut and all that type of stuff mm-hmm. here in Pennsylvania. So it was like, go fill the freezer with what you can. If you get lucky, see like a buck, like good, like you're lucky or whatever. And then as that progressed, I mean, for me, it's like, okay, what are we learning? What are we seeing from the rut that I could, you know, as I would hunt and see different things and get a little bit more details as far as, um, you know, buck bedding and, and the, you know, the bed, the feed pattern and the entry exit route. So like for me right now, we almost have spots where like, this is solely open season. Like if we blow it up, we'll blow it up. Like who cares if we don't see anything that it will just mark it on, on, on the map, whatever, you know? Yeah. Uh, but for us, uh, we're using a little bit of, for me, it's history, you know? And, and when I go back home, like I've had the opportunity a couple of times uh, the last few years and, and really missed out on them where it, it was like no, October, that first cold snap, and uh, I would hunt the morning and I'd go back home in Northeast Pennsylvania and this could be October 13th. And actually it's probably right around that 17th and 18th because our school always had in service days where it was the seventh, that whatever that Thursday, Friday of that time frame was, mm-hmm. I would take off. So I would actually hunt that Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I'd put, I'd put my eggs in that basket. Then like, as well as that first couple of days in November uh, back at home, and man, I would see deer moving. If, if the, the weather cooperated, uh, I would see some nice deer. And I, I missed on two really nice big bucks uh, a couple of years ago during that time frame. And for me, it was the, uh, honestly, it was just that cold front. It was just also that area is private on that side of the mountain where, you know, bucks feel comfortable. They're not getting pressured. And now because of me being a little bit, hopefully a smarter hunter, I'm actually looking <laughs> at a map and seeing why maybe deer are moving a certain way. And it's basically because of that bed to feed pattern. Um, you know, I wasn't putting that together. It was my dad was like, this is a good area, you know, and very successful yeah. hunter, but it was just like, my dad would tell me, Hey, you're going to see deer in this area. And we would, man, we would have dozens of different box, whether it be, you know, spikers to tanks on cameras all throughout the year. Cause he lets them, you know, soak all year round to get some Intel. 
Uh, but you know, that, that's the kind of situation that we see back at home. Now for here in central Pennsylvania, my philosophy has been, I would say, progressed the last two years. Uh, I, in general, it is kind of that same mentality, like let's hunt in different areas. Let's try different tactics. Um, you know, this past turkey season, we used a lot of scouting while we were hunting. Sure, uh, sure. And yesterday we went in and we had, we uh, took our mountain bikes, you know, in and, and hung some other cameras and spots. <laughs> where we, nice. where we looked, uh, uh, saw some, some Turkey and, and we found a shed in one area and, and Dimitri could even talk a little bit more about that, but we jumped two different bucks, uh, during that time. And, uh, yesterday. So it was kind of cool to, to see that. And it was a, like the coincidence, uh, is like legit. I mean, where we had that waypoint marked on on accident is exactly where those deer were um <laughs> but, you know which is kind of cool uh and we're like okay well, we're in that right area and uh so i think our mentality has been this year is just to be more aggressive like man we went out to utah we were surrounded by tons of people this year and <laughs> we went out yesterday and we're hiking and we heard other side by sides on the one road and we're like what the heck this isn't even on the map and so our, like, honestly, we're just going to be as, as aggressive as we can, like use even some of that rut tactics early season. Like we, if we know there's sign and there's deer, uh, man, like why not give it a go? And, and, um, I mean, there's other hunters that have talked about that and they were highly successful and you know, they're, some of their goals are one seventies or bust. And it's like, that's not us. That's not reasonable. And here in central Pennsylvania, I mean, there's, we could get a, a beautiful one fifty for sure, but, um, you know, you gotta be, you know, deep, or, you know, find him the, that that's living that long. But man, for, for me, that's just, uh, that early season is just going after that exit early route, exit and entry routes and, and just finding that sign early on. Okay. You want to add to that, Dimitri, or you want me to, yeah, add I mean, no, I'll, I'll speak <laughs> a little bit more on you know, right. public land just because that's what I grew up hunting mostly. Um, you know, my, my dad had a, a small 30 acre parcel that, you know, I grew up on, but it really wasn't much. A little bit away. Oh, there we yeah. go. Better? There you go. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Perfect. Uh, so my dad owned a, a, a small 30 acre parcel, but then it butts up against uh, public land. So that's what I grew up hunting, uh, which is always pretty cool because I never really had to drive anywhere when I grew up. We just kind of walked out the back door, walked across Fair. our property private property and just the way that the deer pattern you know there wasn't many deer once it got light out on the private uh so we always had to walk back to the the public when we were growing up hunting so um our strategy was a, a little different than someone that that might be hunting private ground and we're hunting big mountain ridges as well so uh there's no farm fields or ag fields anywhere near us so it's a little hard harder to find where that the feeding uh to bed areas are um but going back to even early season when we're trying to scout um looking at different locations almost every year the deer reset um it's very rare that you see a deer kind of go year to year um just because of the the hunting pressure is so great during the rifle season on this public land there may be you know they're there with their batcher groups early summer um then they split off 
once the fall comes and then, you know, archery season, you're able to kind of pattern them a little bit, but once rifle gets, there's so much hunting pressure in Pennsylvania and guys doing deer drives and, and pushing them. And, you know, that buck might get pushed miles and miles away. Um, and it's unlikely that he's going to come back. So, you know, if you find a shed late season and you made it through, that buck's probably going to stay there in that area. So for us, early season scouting comes, comes to play of just kind of rechecking our areas to see what bucks are in the area. If we have any target bucks and mature bucks in that area, um, then we start game planning uh, for that area. So every year, you know, we might be hunting the same areas, but we might be hunting them a little differently, just depending on which deer's there that year and how he's using that terrain, which we all know, big timber woods, uh, especially early on, that's going to change depending on where the acorns are, where they're falling, because some years you might have a heavy acorn uh, fall, and then some years not, so you got to kind of figure out where they're feeding that year, and and they're not always going to take the same patterns early on every evening uh so it's not like an ag field where you know they're going to hit the beans or the corn every every night it's just a matter of fact if they show up in daylight so it makes it a lot different so that's where we come into play where to try to be a little bit more aggressive in our strategies you know when i grew up we're listening to podcasts and they say oh stay away from bedding area to the right and you know, I kind of use those tactics not really knowing any better because that's the only kind of information you're getting on the outdoor channel or, you know, podcasts were just starting to come about. So, yeah. so kind of use those tactics, but you weren't seeing many deer early on in the season, uh, especially in Pennsylvania and these big hardwoods. So just slowly as, as kind of learned and developed over the years, you got to be a little bit more aggressive in these areas, especially in the big woods and, and trying to find those transition ridges and, um, hunting a lot of of benches where they might be uh feeding across and they feel those mature bucks feel safe um transitioning and you just got to kind of play it week by week of trying to find where the uh fresh sign is and then playing it off uh each and every day is a little bit different yeah yeah no that makes uh you bring up some great points there like both of you in that conversation um and I'm writing down all these notes, trying to figure out which ones I want to cover in the next like 45 minutes. Um, so uh, first one that I want to go over is, uh, Jeremy, you said you, you, you marked a spot on Onyx and then you went out to that area to drop some cameras and you busted out some deer. What was it on Onyx that you saw that made you go, I'm going to drop a waypoint here? Well, that was, I mean, in that spot was the exact same spot we found that shed, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, okay. that was like kind of that late, like kind exact, of, yeah. Yeah, exactly what Dimitri just said. Like we found, you know, um, a, you know, the, the shed right there. So we marked that and we kind of just looked at the, the general area. Uh, and that was a flat top right up there, right up in that area yeah. with, with some thick, uh, you know, it was really, really super, super thick right now for what it looked like. Uh, so even we're just like, man, where do you even go up? <laughs> <It was> just, <laughs> sure. but, um, so that's where, you know, we use that to, to like right now. And I'll even kind of use that answer to go back to the private where I hunt. And that's a 3000 acre mountain. You know, there's no farmlands, there's no nothing. It's just like, like, it's just big timber. Uh, Just, just somebody has that land, but on the one side, which is actually the side where I hunt, uh, there is across the road, which is not a very, 
Uh, it's not a highway by any means. Uh, there are some, some houses with some fields within there. And that's where some deer will go feed. And then when they come back up the mountain, they're coming up towards me uh, where I have my stand or where I'll have, you know, throw up in the saddle and, and all that type of situation. And that's where I've kind of had success the last couple of years, seeing deer and getting deer. Uh, so, I mean, for me, it's just kind of figuring that out. So that's been a whole sure. new world for, for me personally and kind of even piggybacking off of, of riding uh, with Dimitri is like, man, like, okay, where are we seeing things at the late end of the season, whether it be in the spring, whether it be uh, March or wherever, um, you know, we kind of just, you know, put, put our eggs in that basket. And because man, I mean, the last three years or four years that we've hunted that I've hunted with him early season, I mean, we could see deer now, even close to the season starting middle of September. And all of a sudden it just goes cold. I mean, you are like, dude, we were getting hammered with, with trail camera images or whatever. And it's just like, they're gone, you know, and mm-hmm. it's, uh, so trying to refine them. Yeah. That's been a, that's definitely been a topic on a few of the podcasts so far is once they drop velvet, they become a different deer. They have different areas. They want to go different places. Some leave, some stay. And it's kind of, it seems like it's a personality trait for, for the deer and what they're after which actually ties in great to something Dimitri said, which I haven't ever discussed on a podcast yet of early season, which is um, not to say that I've discussed everything. It's just, (laughs) I just haven't covered this yet, which is uh, historical data is massive for people being able to hunt the same property year over year and learn that property is great. Um, and one of the things that I do like to tell people is that if you're hunting a property and you're hunting it a year, two years, and you're really not having much success, find a different property, like go somewhere else, find somewhere else. Cause there are properties that just like are bad hunting properties. They just don't set up well for one reason or another. So go find, if that's private, go find a piece of public, go, go find some access somewhere else. But what you mentioned was that even though you have historical data year over year, it changes every year based on the food source that you guys are on. Cause it's not an egg field necessarily, you know, you're looking for acorns and it's different buck personalities, different deer traits, what deer were killed, what deer made it through, um, what deer moved into the area, what deer moved out just based on age and, and all sorts of different stuff. Um, so I'd like to, I like to dive into that a, a little bit more in the sense of, so if, if you guys are, you know, say on the east side of the property, like last year, you're getting everything. And then now this year, everything's kind of on the west side of the property. Um, are you guys just like completely moving stands or are you just being mobile or how are you guys going about that? Uh, so we pretty much never put set stands up, especially on uh, public ground, uh, especially here in Pennsylvania. You have to take it down to at least before two weeks after you're the supposed season. to take it well down. <laughs> you're supposed to take it down dude i have uh, found ladder stands on the public it's that's it's illegal here too in wisconsin you can't leave them up overnight and uh, i've found ladder stands so far back i'm like man these guys put a lot of effort into this i'm not even gonna say anything because yeah. they put in the effort to get it in here but man and a lot of the times I find them and they're not even in like that great of spots they're like <laughs> I, I like i find them and i'm like i won't even hunt that anyway but yeah, anyway. so we're basically staying mobile so okay. just because we're constantly moving and, and hunting different areas uh just because there's so much pressure on public land if you sit in the same tree 
you know, after one or two sits, you're probably not going to see many deer um, just because there's probably people moving around you um, relatively close, even a couple hundred yards, which is going to change the pattern of the deer and, and they're going to know you're there. So, you know, basically we're staying mobile and, and hunting different areas probably week to week, even, you know, we're okay. basically weekend hunters. So, you know, it's not like we're able to hunt two or three days in a row, uh, especially in PA, you can't hunt on Sundays right now. Um, so you basically, yeah, if you're a weekend warrior, you, yeah. <laughs> you get one day. So actually this year they, they changed the law and they gave us three Sundays. One's going to be in archery, one's going to be in bear season, and then one's going to be in rifle deer season as well. So, um, they're starting to make the transition into Sunday hunting, which is great. Uh, so it makes it a lot difficult for people that have a full-time job to, yeah. You basically get six weeks, six days if you don't take days off um, the hunt. So, and if you know, you're a weekend guy, you just get one day. So, I mean, that yeah. means that that puts so much emphasis on scouting. Yeah. So, you know, that's a, again why we're becoming more aggressive is because we don't get all those days to hunt. So, if we just wait to the rut, I mean, you're looking at one or two, you know, weekends really to get um, in your prime spots. Yeah. And I, I actually want Dimitri to talk about because two years ago, he shot a buck during rifle season on the first day um, uh, in, in this one area where he scouted, he threw up a stand right before rifle season and stuff. And uh, last year we were in that core area as well. He already was tagged out at the end of April or August, October. So we get in and this was kind of like my rut vacation and he's like, Hey, we haven't, like, we haven't been up there yet. I'm like, let's go in that area. We, we know that's historically has shown good, you know, he's seen good deer there. Like, I want you to talk about how we go there the one morning and you want to talk about a picture perfect morning. This was it. I mean, it was uh, a beautiful, cold morning. It was crisp. And there was sun was coming. Like, it just was perfect. Like, the conditions, like, to barely any wind. Uh, and we were there all day and did not see a single deer. However, you know, like, because I want you to piggyback on this. Then, like, a week, you know, the next day I go back, or two days later I go home and I shoot my deer. But then, like, a week later, he ha he knows of a friend, a family friend that, like, was in – maybe on the next bench below or would just in that core area and said there was just deer just running like crazy up there and, and beautiful bucks, like a bunch of shooters. Right. Yeah. He said he saw five bucks that were legal for PA, probably eight pointers or better. Um, he could have shot all five of them, but he was looking for something bigger. Uh, so he didn't take any of them. So Pennsylvania is pretty different. You know, I mean, it could be one day they could be rutting like crazy. And then this next day, whatever reason, whether it's pressure or, or I, I don't even know. I mean, they could be not even running at all. You know, I guess it just depends on the doe density in that area and whether one's, you know, um, looking to be bred. But, you know, and another reason why we don't put up set stands is because is I don't want people to know where I'm hunting. You know, I mean, it's sad <laughs> to say, but I yeah. mean, um, that's another reason we had a pre-hung uh, pre stand, that same stand that he was just talking about, and it, it's uh, history's been pretty good, so we were kept going back to it, at least putting it up every year in case we wanted to walk that far back in there. Um, but then this rifle season, someone shot, it, shot at a deer, hit it um, that I knew of, and he was trying to track it, and 
you know, he, he kind of knew I hunted that area and he goes, is that your stand up there? And then he ended up hunting that later that year. So he must've figured it was pretty good. Um, and that's where we saw those bucks. So, you know, that's another reason I like to be mobile too, is I mean, yeah, someone yeah. might see where your truck's parked, but they don't know exactly where you're hunting or how far back you're in. But if you have that stand up and you have your mm-hmm. CID number on your stand too, I mean, they could easily know who it is and, you know, where you're hunting. So that's another reason you got to kind of fight the pressure battle as well as trying to figure out how the deer are moving. So it's a kind of a two-way game that we're playing, uh, which makes it a lot more difficult than someone hunting their own private land. That yeah. is a great, that is a great point is... I do that every time as well as when, when I see somebody else's stand, I try to figure out why they put it there and when they're going to hunt it and how they're going to hunt it and how they're going to access it. And sometimes, you know, people like not every hunter is like a premium cream of the crop hunter. Right. And they might roll in, you know, 20 minutes after daylight and they might be bopping around. And sometimes you can play off that. Yeah. Right. I mean, in the, a lot of the public land I hunt um, has pheasant hunters on it. And opening day of pheasant hunting is one of my favorite days to hunt because they just push deer like none other. So you can get good deer movement in the morning at 8.30, you know, 9 o'clock when they start hitting those fields and start pushing stuff out. Yeah. Um, it actually can work to your benefit a lot. Yeah. And, uh, man, uh, just like Dimitri said, too, I mean, our, our big thing is being mobile. Uh, I mean, there was last year, uh, it was actually the first time that I went home during the season and it was that middle October time. I just, with the weekend had a nice little cold snap. I hunted here the first two weekends and uh, actually I, I think too, he was going to a wedding or something like had something going on. So I said, well, I'm just going to go home. And I got up in the first thing in the morning and I was sitting up there and, and I actually heard a buck like grunting. And I mean, this is middle of October. I mean, this was like early on and I just was kind of messing around. I'm like, let me see if I could call this young. You could tell, like, you just knew, like, I'm like, there's no way some big old buck is just like grunting already. And it was far away and I could hear a doe uh, running and I saw her and I just called, like I just did a couple grunt calls and this buck and I like a little tiny, nice little six point, just nice frame came like on a string, like come <laughs> run right in. Got it. Got a little excited a little early, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was just like, you know, that was crazy to me, like full blown, like October 15th, whatever it was. I mean, yeah. I'm just like down the ridge. I'm like, holy shit. Like already, <laughs> like, here we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I, yeah. you know, like I said, so that was like something too, like a first for me to, to hear. I mean, that's usually, um, you know, that was really right, early. It's like a late October thing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. To get that kicked off. And you mentioned weather. I mean, that seems to be a theme as well as you know, cold fronts, right? Yeah. Are you guys really, do you guys have spots where you're like, you know what, I, this is a pretty good spot. I really kind of only want to, I know it's going to be good, but I not, I only really want to hit it. I mean, cold front for you guys, is that a Northwest wind generally? Yeah. 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 Yep. yeah. Okay. So like, I only want to hit this on a Northwest wind, get yeah. that cold front. And otherwise I'm just not going to touch it. Do yeah. You guys have spots like that. Oh, I, I know I do. Um, okay. I mean, I've even talked to Dimitri where I've been just thrown looking on, on X and I'm like, Hey, I'm like, this could be a spot for me just to, to crush a doe. Like, I don't like if I see a buck, cool. But like, this is where I don't want to hit like maybe our, that core area where we, we pulled cameras the other day and have a really nice wide eight growing. Um, you know, we were just saying like, it, it seems like that deer 
that that frame there was a, a buck years ago that just why well, had some genetics down in that area because uh, it just seems like it's that that same rack growing it each and every single year that we've pulled a camera uh, and I think you know between the homework that he he did in this past you know year I think he's finally circled that little core area um you know and that was usually a spot too where we sometimes went in early to hunt just doe and we're like hey you know i, I maybe we don't go there now you know let's let's kind of let's wait for that perfect win and we might just have to go over that next little bench uh to that point or whatever uh so yeah i mean that for me it's just I'm just trying to get out and, you know, we talked a little bit about that gear, you know, I'm transitioning to the saddle just so for that simple fact that like I, after work, I could just go up and sit. And if it is just for two and a half hours in a blind spot where I think, okay, here's what we've been seeing on maps and, and physically seeing for deer sign, this kind of resembles that. Let's go take it. Like if I just go up there and, and do an observation sit and see a doe, like and I get a shot opportunity. That's fantastic. You know, yeah. just put some meat in the freezer. So that's kind of, where I'm going right now, as far as that. And I know, um, you know, I know you have that certain situation for what, you know, a specific win or when you're getting in certain spots. Yeah. So and another thing with me growing as a hunter too, I mean, having more spots available, whether yeah. you're hunting private or, or public is beneficial because you're looking at the wind. So that may be why I pick one spot over the other, just because of the wind direction that day. So sure, whether sure. I want to be in there or not on a, you know, cold front or, or weather or whatever the situation may be early season, uh, it all depends on the wind direction is where I'm going to pick. And, and growing as a hunter, I'm, I'm really trying to learn that I got to have more areas to hunt, uh, you know, not just a plan A, B, and C, but a D, E, F, and G sure, that yeah. I can really, um, switch to if I need to in, the, in that day. And, and another thing is we talk about is we we're hunting mornings as well, early season. A lot of people don't do that uh, yeah. in most circumstances, but being in Pennsylvania and being a weekend warrior, as far as hunting, I mean, I'm going to maximize my opportunity as much as I can uh, throughout the whole season uh, to maximize my chances as well. So, you know, I think this year with us being a little bit more aggressive early on, maybe we catch that mature buck off guard uh, early on getting closer to his bedding um, in that early season is really going to, you know, he hasn't seen as much pressure. Maybe he hasn't winded as many humans uh, yet. Uh, so if we can really get in there tight early on, we'll see if we have a little bit more success um, in that early season. Yeah. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with getting tight and getting after it in the early season because like just like you said, a lot of those bucks, they aren't used to pressure. They aren't used to people yet. So you can kind of get away with a little bit more and have them be a little bit less, uh, what do I want to say, like frantic about it. A little less skittish, yeah. Yeah, a little less skittish because they're like, oh, is this just someone like walking their dog? Is this, it, it's not, you know, like middle of November where they've been hunted for, you know, a month and a half, two months already. Right. Right. And where they know like, Oh crap, you know, I'm in it. I can't stress enough. Uh, and that's one thing the last three, four years that I've learned uh, where, where I've took it from public land and put it to the private land is having that scenario a through Z. I mean, 
you know, like, like I think yeah. back to a couple of years ago, man, when I, when I talk about it with, about my, with my dad, where, you know, there's that core area and he's like, let's put up a stand here, you know? And then one day I get in there and I, I felt good. I moved it and I did this and, and it looked good. I had a good sign and I got in there to one day and it was just wind was blowing me. I felt like I was swaying, you know, every which way. Uh, and I look and I see a, a nice buck. I mean, I'm, this buck's about a hundred yards and I can see his rack, like pretty plain as day through all this yeah. timber. I'm like, dude, that's a, that's a big deer. And I mean, I could have screamed and he probably wouldn't have heard me just because of the wind. And that's where it kind of clicked for me. That's where I was like, dude, I got to have plan A, B, C, and D. <laughs> like instead of yeah. sitting up there and knowing what, like the situation, like I, I remember sitting there when light broke and I just looked around, I'm like, I ain't going to see shit here. I just had that, like, you know what I mean? And yeah, I looked yeah. at it and I pulled up on X and then that's honestly where I started doing a lot more homework. And I'm like, well, I see all, I see this rub line here. I see this here. I see scrapes here. Like, why am I not hunting closer to this? You know what I mean? Right. That mentality of like, I need to be far further deep. I need to be this. I need to be that was what was kind of clogging my mind. And once I switched that and started hunting the, some of these rub lines or some, actually the main piece of what has led to success more than anything, I believe is some of these deer trails, uh, kind yeah. of setting up off of these trails rather than say scrapes or, and all that type of stuff. So that's where, you know, being two hours away from home, I threw up one of those re revealed uh, Tacticam cameras to, you know, give me some intel just because, you know, being two hours away, having a, a six-year-old daughter, being from my, my way away from my wife, like I want to maximize those opportunities where if I'm seeing some deer, you know, if I have an opportunity, great. And I know some people are like, well, that, that may not be some people's cup of tea, but if for me, if I'm taking off work, I'm being away from my family. Like I want to have at least a chance. And there was right. times I would go in blind and it frustrated the hell out of me. You know what I mean? Because yeah. I wouldn't see oh, what yeah. I was hoping and I missed it by a day or two, like just by checking cameras. Like after you would check and I'm like, dude, I was in this day. Why? You know, and it is like 9am and you see this, I'm like, it, it's like the, you want to talk about wanting to give up hunting. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's just like, that just killed me. Right. So there was those moments where, you know, now you have these cell cameras and, you know, I talked to a buddy of mine, you know, Josh Kirshner, and he's writing an article about it. And I was like, Josh, you know, locally we don't use them, you know, but like for me, if I'm two hour plus away, like, and we are able to use them, like I'm using that just so I could maximize my time away from family. And that's, yeah. I mean, I'm not BSing when I say that, like that's just wholeheartedly, you know, I mean, if there's an opportunity where, you know, we start and, that, and the bad thing about that is too, for me, because of that area and like how we were talking about buck, you know, splitting up, I usually don't see a mature deer on those cameras on, in that area until October, middle, late October anyway. So like people are like, what are you seeing at home? I'm like, does like here and there, like I, then, and, but like, I'm not worried, you know what I mean? And that's just because that's just the way history is because of where deer live down below by those houses, by those fields. But then as you know, the, the doe conjugate more up on the mountain and then they follow up through. And that's just kind of what I've kind of learned. And then, you know, it's taken me a couple of years to get that through my thick head. And, you know, so, I mean, that's, that's kind of been my, my bread and butter lately. Yeah. I think that's one of the, to, at the beginning, you know, having spot A through Z, it's one of the biggest mistakes that I see newer hunters make is like, I'm going to my spot yeah. in, or I'm going to my stand or, you know, and they only have one stand and they don't really care about the wind. They don't really think about it. They don't 
You know, they yeah. don't think about are there actually acorns falling from this tree or not. They don't think about, oh, last year this was a soybean field. This year it's a corn field. How is that going to affect the deer movement? They just have their spot. Yeah. I think like a good, you know, when I'm scouting like in the spring um, and I'm running through everything, I'm taking a look at when I find a spot and I go, oh, I like this spot. I like to mark it with whatever wind. I like to backtrack. How am I going to get to the spot entry and exit route? And then also what wind can I hunt this spot on? Where do I think the deer are going to come from and what wind? And I think a good rule of thumb for kind of just anybody is like five south winds, five north winds. Like if you're going to like that, that at least gives you options um, because you might come season and you might go to one of those south wind spots and oh, there's a hunter there. Or, you know, you're you someone else hung a stand there. You see a trail camera right there. So, you know, someone's been in there or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You act like that's, that's something that's happened. Because <laughs> it does. It happens to everybody, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. With, with public land, with hunting growing in the public land, like hunting movement through like the hunting public guys and a lot of other people like Bo Martonic over in PA, there's just a, a lot of people who are getting deeper and going harder in the woods. And, um, and you, you run into that. So having all those different options is going to help you out. And I, I especially like to um, start, on my, start on the outside and work my way in to my spot. So then if I know other hunters are there, you know, I can move in. Yeah. Depending on how, how deep I like really want to go or, or whatever. Because I'm not like sitting on a field edge, you know, 100 yards off the parking lot, right? I mean, I'm, I have a, I have a route that I take where I can go, okay, if this one fails and someone's here, where can I go next? Right. right? And one year I got really, I was taking out a friend who never been hunting on public land by me before he'd hunted a few public times and he hasn't, doesn't really have a whole lot of success. And I get to the parking lot at you know, whatever, 5am and some dude, uh, some dude was in the other, there was two ways to access the spot. And some guy was in the other, other spot. And I stopped and talked to him. I was like, Hey man, where are you going? And he's like, Oh, in the woods. And I kind of looked at him. I was like, Hey, I don't have time. I know every, every spot out here. Um, are you going to this Oak Island or that Oak Island or, or where are you going? Cause I, otherwise I'm going to run into you, you know? Yeah. And he just kind of looked at me and he's like, uh, well, we're going to this one. And I was like, all right, cool. Then I won't go there. And he, and he was like, well, you know where I'm going? And I was like, yeah, I've, I know exactly where you're sitting. He's like, all right, cool. And I was like, are you going in this tree? Cause there's only a few trees. I was like, are you going in this one or the one further back? And he kind of like looked at me odd, like, and he's like the one further back, you know, like he didn't want to say anything, but I was like, I know where you're going. So then it pissed me off because he didn't go to the one further back, which was far better than the one out front. And uh, me and my buddy came by and he flashed us off on the one, um, that was out on front and we circled all the way around him <laughs> and got way back and behind him. And, uh, we ended up seeing a few deer that morning. Um, couldn't get a shot at any, but, uh, but God, if we would have just been in there, like, you know, 15 minutes sooner, we would have been able to beat them out there and we would have had a much easier walk in and everything. Yeah. Um, but how do you, so, I mean, you're putting, you're putting cell cams on, on a piece, um, what do you guys do as far as like concealing them or, or trying not to get them stolen? Well, we don't really do much, but <laughs> as far as I don't leave them out very long, yeah, uh, that's okay. you know, so when we put a camera out, especially on public ground, I'm, I'm 
one, I'm trying to go far back where no one else is going to try to gain my intel. So, which is a different, like I said before, we're just trying to gather what's in the area if there's a mature buck that we want to hunt in that area. So when I'm putting out a trail camera, we're looking for sign. We're looking like where we found that shed in the spring. We're putting that camera out for two, three weeks max. And then we're pulling it and seeing what's there, you know, and then we're just going to the next spot and, you know, we're putting our cameras, different, different areas to try to gain that Intel. Um, I mean, during Turkey season, how many, game cameras that we Ooh. see that were out i mean we could i mean if we were thieves i mean we would have a freaking tote full of trail cameras you know what i mean because people are just constantly walking through the woods and scouting doing the same thing yeah, you yeah. are um you know and and you gotta think about it you know whether you're locking it up i mean a lot of cameras go missing so yeah. you know you gotta you gotta be yeah. careful you know we take sticks in too if we feel like it's an area where it's going to get a lot of traffic we'll we will put it up high um just to kind of get it out of line of sight uh but you know a lot of times sometimes i'll even take some ferns that are still growing and, and, and kind of stuff those into it to kind of camouflage sure. it as well just because if you're walking by real quick you might not not see the the actual camera part or kind of hide the strap around the tree a little bit as well. So those are kind of just a couple yeah. things I do as well. Yeah. And I, I think too, for me, uh, you know, back at, back at home when I do hunt that private land, like I, I thank goodness, like I, I don't have much to worry about as far as trail cameras, st- you know, stealing goes. Uh, but I did change it up a little bit uh, back at home where uh, there was a really nice kind of little deer trail highway. Uh, and I hung up a, a camera higher and I put it on video mode and I'm actually heading back home this weekend. So, uh, to p- kind of just do that last minute, you know, kind of Intel, uh, switch that, that camera card out and, and put something else in a new one in just to, to get some Intel. Now that's not a cell one. So that's just a plain, you know, regular one. Uh, but not too far off is the cell camera, but this is a, like a new, it just basically, I just dove in a little bit deeper than where I, I, I was hunting maybe by 70 yards and it's just kind of going towards the point on that flat bench. And, uh, so I'm, I'm ecstatic just because I want to kind of see, since I had it on video mode, you know, am I getting any buck travel from that area? Cause I finally sent one to him last week where I was like, Hey, look at that first buck. And it was just a nice, you know, young eight point that that's growing, um, by this point in time. And, uh, so, you know, he'd get the pass this year, but, uh, you know, it's, it's good to see, but I want to really just see which way are these deer coming from just because I put it in an area where when I did shoot my buck during in early November, it's the area where he came from. And it was just, uh, well, after, I mean, it was June. And when I finally laid eyes on that kind of core area, when I walked past it, I was like, holy cow. Like, I mean, you could still see it, even though with all the green up of just how much, uh, the, 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 the deer trails were beaten down. Uh, and there, I saw like two different scrapes. And so I got up, I put up a, an Exodus Trek camera up high and pointed it down and, and put it on video mode just so, cause that's yeah. a good camera to, to have video running. So yeah, man, I'm, I'm pumped to see what that has because that's going to, dictate hopefully um maybe what i do early on like that might be a weekend yeah. i do have you know if it is the way pennsylvania is running right now we're we're hitting a nice little set in the 70s for the next week uh i just hope that kind of continues or if it spikes back up a little bit you know hopefully that carries for the next month because like dimitri said i mean 
I, I feel more comfortable just getting out of, I feel more comfortable being uncomfortable right now than I ever have as a hunter, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like I, you know, if I fall flat on my face, I'm not going to be pissed like I would have been earlier in my younger, you know, like in, in a couple of years ago, just because I maybe understand things a little bit better. Uh, but yeah, man, I, I, I think that's been, again, just those deer trails early on is going to be, if we could get some cameras on them and, and using, using that information to kind of draw up a game plan is, is going to be huge for us this year. Yeah. And even piggybacking on that a little bit is, you know, especially the biggest thing in PA, especially early on is trying to figure out how deer are moving and, and where, what areas they like to move in, uh, you know, especially early on, you know, we're trying to find feeding patterns, but even just looking at terrain features that they feel comfortable walking on. So, you know, in the last year, I've really started to geek out looking at e-scouting and maps and trying to figure out of why mature bucks like to use these terrain features. And then I apply that to, you know, different areas and kind of look at similar features in that area. And that's where I'm kind of scouting and putting cameras up where I killed my buck last year, which was October 26th. So it was kind of that early season into pre-rut. Um, but the, the mature buck that I, I harvested, um, actually was just kind of going from, you know, nighttime into his back to his bedding. You know, he wasn't chasing or he wasn't looking for does at all. Um, just caught him still on his feet during the, the morning hours is actually a spot that I've never was never in before. So I basically, you know, we were having a lot of trouble finding bucks. They just kind of disappeared on our cameras and all the areas that we kind of scouted early on. And we were just kind of seeing some does and fawns and said, we need to come up with a different game plan. So I kind of really just looked at the maps and I started kind of um, trying to understand topo settings as well on the Onyx map and, and figuring out of, you know, why does that mature buck feel comfortable, you know, running that bench line, you know, is, and with that wind, um, which was a huge success for me. And, yeah. and I actually, you know, I found this spot, it looked really good on the map and I, I really liked it. And um, the next weekend I said, I'm going in there. So I actually was never in on this ridge and I was using my, on my topo setting and where my location was to try to get to that point that I had pinned from just kind of e-scouting. Um, so I'm standing there looking at my phone, trying to get to that pin, um, cause I was looking for a nice bench and I basically climbed up in a tree, uh, got light out and I said, wow, this looks as good as I thought it did on the map. <laughs> and, and probably in, uh, 45 minutes later that buck came by 25 yards and I shot him. So, you know, that's another strategy that's really, uh, been a tool for me, uh, early on is, is really understanding those maps and why those mature bucks. Because if you look at the, the, um, the terrain on, uh, Onyx, I mean, it's basically a big green blob. I mean, when we're hunting these ridges, you know, when, when there's a field, and then you see some green, you know, that's like some probably thicker bedding area, maybe in Iowa or Illinois or somewhere where there's a lot of ag fields and you can understand where the bedding is. But in Pennsylvania, where we hunt, you just yeah. see green. So if you don't understand the topo settings and, and how the terrain features are in that area, yeah. you're not going to know how those bucks navigate that terrain. Well, talk about even where we threw up that camera yesterday, how you were, you even gave the example, like this buck is bedding here because he has 
exit and entry routes and wind. Like talk about that. Yes. that. That was awesome. So basically we, we ran this ridge back to where we found the shed. And I mean, the whole ridge was just thick, nasty stuff. You know, it, it, you, there's no way you would get a tree stand in there more than if, if you would have to be five, 10 feet off the ground and you may have, you know, one foot, two foot, maybe holes. Cause there's so many saplings where you could hunt. But I mean, right where those deer came out of the feed that night, those two bucks, they could be right on that ridge. So one, if the wind was blowing in a certain direction, they would be able to smell anyone on top of that ridge walking across the top. And if they, if, if they smelled something, they could just dive down over the ridge and into that thick stuff and you would never even know they were there. Um, but if, they, if someone was walking down below, it's so thick they wouldn't even see them, but then they would be able to have eyes looking down over the ridge and, and would see you before you even knew they were there and they could take off up over the ridge before you even knew they were there. So got to kind of just see you know, where they like to bed and, and, and how they use that train. That's why even, you know, preseason, I, I, I want to put foot on the ground and, and kind of see and try to kind of simulate why would a buck want to navigate this spot and, and why you feel safe here. I don't think, yeah, I don't think there's any, and there, everybody says this, there's no replacement for boots on the ground, right? right. And actually checking it out. Um, and I think, for a lot of people who are trying to understand, I mean, buck bedding has been a big topic in the hunting industry for the last couple of years. And for people who are trying to understand that are trying to understand bedding areas. I know when I first started hunting like 13, 14, no, it was like 17 years ago, actually. Um, I just kind of hunted wherever and did whatever. But then um, probably like 10 years ago, I really tried to try to start understanding bedding areas. People are always saying, you know, stay out of bedding areas or get hunt the edges of bedding areas, whatever. And, and I'm just like, I don't even know where they bed. What it is. Right? <laughs> I don't even that? know what it is. Yep. And then, and then I really just started putting in time boots on the ground and scouting. And then I started finding beds, you know, especially in the Midwest, like when there's snow on the ground, it's, it's blatantly obvious where the beds are. And then, you know, if you don't have snow on the ground, it's, you know, those big ovals and dirt. Right. And, and once you see them and once you like sit in them and you're, or you stand on them and you look around, you're like, Oh yeah, this makes a lot of sense. Like yep. this is very obvious. And then just to your point, Dimitri, you can take that information and go, well, based on how he, this buck or these deer use this point, well, this point pretty much sets up the exact same, but for a different wind, I bet there's going to be beds over here. And then you go there and nine times out of 10, there's also beds there. And then you start like, and then it just starts clicking, you know, and you start understanding how that all lays out. Um, as far as those ridges go, mountain, mountain hunting is, is uh, foreign to me. I, I don't know a lot about it. Um, I mean, we have hills and ridges and valleys, but we don't have like mountains because we don't, I really don't have a whole lot of benches, you know, and to me, a bench is where, you know, it kind of goes up up the mountain and then it kind of flattens out for a little bit. Then it goes up the mountain again and flattens out like that's multiple benches. Right. And you got saddles where kind of two mountains come together or two big Hills and you got a middle kind of like a saddle that deer can easily use. Um, what is it about those terrain features that, that, that buck liked that you, when you popped up in the morning, which is something I actually like, Man, I, I, I've warned people against going new places in the morning in the dark <laughs> just because like so many times you get up in that tree and you're like, God, this sucks. <laughs> you know, I wish I was 20 yards that way, yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, 
but I mean, when it, when it works out, man, it works out. Right. Um, and some scenarios like you, you can't pick a bad tree, which is, which is an awesome scenario to be in. But, um, tell, tell me a little bit more about what those terrain features were and, and how that buck was using that area. Um, you, you know, you said he liked it, but what did he like about it? Why was he going in that area? Was it, was it, a, I mean, you said it was a bench, but you know, was the wind in his face? Was he moving up to a bed or how does that lay out? So basically he was kind of walking with a crosswind. So he could kind of, kind of gauge, um, below him, uh, what was down there. So, you know, he, he couldn't quite see what was down over the ridge, but he could kind of smell anything that was kind of drafting up from that, that area. And he was kind of on top of the mountain, uh, at night. Uh, I just think there was a, there was a power line that kind of ran through there. So I'm, I'm assuming that he was out there feeding at nighttime, um, out there in the open. I'm sure there was also some into the, the woods, there was some, um, oak tree so dropping some acorns as well uh on that top but he could easily there was a lot of um brush as well that you know a lot of times up on the mountain there's some of this brush that's kind of you know knee to waist high uh it's kind of similar to what you'd say out west this is like some sage brush i guess you know sure, um, sure. what it would be and they, they kind of feel safe walking through that stuff here in pennsylvania i don't know if they feel hidden a little bit maybe their body's a little bit hidden um or if whether they feel like they can escape it pretty quickly uh but he felt safe coming down through that and he kind of crossed over the top and down onto this bench and i think that like i said it was it was steep enough where where if you were below the bench you wouldn't be able to see him and then if you were on top of that ridge it was steep enough where uh you probably wouldn't be able to look down uh and see him as well or you wouldn't be that close to him either uh where he could easily bound down over the hill and he would be gone in a second or two um so i just think that he kind of knew that area and knew the safety of those uh, train features um, with that wind kind of in his favor that morning. And I think, you know, uh, never being in there just kind of caught him off guard. I mean, he had no idea uh, I was there and he stopped perfect broadside 25 yards um, on his own just because he was kind of scanning. He would kind of walk 10 yards. I think he knew that he was kind of caught out a little late from his bed um, because he would kind of go like 10, 15 yards and just stop and kind of look around and try to catch the wind a little bit um, just to see if he was safe um, to try to get to his bed uh, since it was already daylight. So, but I mean, that gave me the perfect opportunity for a shot and uh, put him down. So kind of use that to my advantage. Yeah. And that area too, like, if he does go over that ridge, I mean, he is four big bounds from crossing a creek and going straight up another uh, hill and you'll never see him. I mean, it would just be, I mean, that's how just be gone. just be gone. Yeah. I mean, that's just like the perfect exit out, you know, strategy for, for them. Uh, Cause even I went in right around March, I would say right, right as soon as like COVID hit, I said, Hey, I'm going to go down there a day. He was at work. So I'm just going to go walk around, see if I can find some sheds, just see some other sign because we didn't, you didn't go in there after you shot that deer, like, no. I, like even the rest of the season, no need to, cause he was already tagged out. So I just was kind of walking around. It was right before it was maybe even April. Cause I was had my Turkey calls. I was just seeing if there was anything and just having some fun practicing and all that stuff. And, uh, I found some, some rubs down below, like near the Creek bottom and everything. So that, that's even another little spot that we want to, you know, 
put out a camera or two just before the season. And again, like kind of piggybacking off of what he said earlier is it, it's not your traditional, like, let's see what's on camera and come up with a game plan because it's right before the season or during season. I mean, it's just solely for Intel. And then it's like kind of, I don't want to say coming up with a blind plan, but I mean, it kind of really is just because again, that deer could just change patterns. He could be just coming through or whatever. Um, but I mean, that's just kind of just because of how much, you know, it'd be good to invest in some of those like $40 Walmart Tasco, you know, <laughs> ones yeah. get stolen, like whatever, dude, like, I guess you need it more than I do. You know? Yeah. No, I, yeah. And that's, that is, that does suck when they do get stolen. Like everybody just like goes into pure rage mode when a camera gets stolen. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't, I think it's equivalent to like when someone cuts you off on the highway, Yeah, I mean, just like pure rage. Um, but, uh, so when you, one thing you mentioned earlier was like getting aggressive and having aggressive tactics in, in the early season and just trying a lot and. So essentially, as I'm gathering, you know, information on how you guys like to hunt, I mean, it, it's staying mobile, it's having 100 different spots based on the wind, based on what you're feeling, and some intel, you're going, ah, let's try this spot, plus some historical data. And then also, you guys have mentioned acorns a lot, so that's definitely a food source that you guys look to and look to target. Yeah. Um, when you say uh, aggressive tactics, is that just like kind of getting close wherever you think a bedding area is? Is that just trying to get real close to that or what are you thinking? Yeah, yeah pretty much just getting yeah. close to the bedding, you know, cause a lot of the mature bucks, especially once they get some pressure uh, early on, they're, they're not going to move until that last, maybe it might only be that last 15 minutes of light. Uh, they might be getting up out of their bed and moving. So the closer you can get to that bed without spooking them, you're going to give yourself a better chance to, to harvest that, that deer early on in the season, um, which is going to be a different story during the rut. But early on, he starts getting a little bit of pressure. He knows maybe hunters have been in there walking around because they're idiots and walking two, two weeks before a season. So what happens in PA is, is there's a lot of gates that, that you can't, get access to state game lands um but they open it like two weeks before the season and you're not technically supposed to be putting your tree stands up on state game lands if you're putting a ladder or a hang on to no earlier than two weeks before the season so you know which is kind of ridiculous because we all know we want that standing early and kind of let it sit uh so a lot of people two weeks one week before the season are stromping through the woods and setting up their tree stand and then a week later they're going to be climbing in it so you know you gotta you gotta play those battles i mean it, it it's hard i mean pa is a very hard state to hunt public ground i i mean we talk it about like it. it sounds like you guys are hunting not necessarily you're not necessarily hunting deer but just trying to hunt away from people yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i can't it, it was weird it was eye-opening for me last year i know i said i've been hunting with him for the last couple of years but it was mainly during archery season and but last year i was I had a, uh, a doe tag and here in Pennsylvania, you had to have to wait a, a week during gun season. And then it's that first Saturday you could shoot a doe. And so that opening day, I'm like, Hey, I'll go out with you. You know, we can hang out just for a little bit. And then like later on in the day, we can meet up with your dad or whatever. So we were walking around. It was like midday 
and you just like, I'm walking with him, I'm behind him, and, and we're wearing orange because we have to, it's the law. And you just look up in the stand and there's like orange 50 yards. You look like 30 yards to your right, orange. There's another person you're like, you are literally going to shoot the same freaking deer. Like, what are you, <laughs> like, I was blown away. And I'm like, dude, are we safe? He's like, yeah, we're all right. <laughs> you know, <and> just, <laughs> going, because, but that was all brand new to me because growing up on that private, yeah. I mean, it was like, you sit here, you go, you know, you don't get down unless you got a like explosive diarrhea. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that was the only time you left that tree stand, you know, I mean, that's uh, what you wear a safety harness for, right? You just yeah. leave it off the stand. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, but man, I mean, that was like, so that was like eye opening for me. And, you know, he was like, welcome. This is, you know, you're, you're getting your cherry pop for that. And I was like, yeah, I mean, this was, yeah, it just opened my eyes. I mean, it was one thing for me the past couple seasons to see and alternate my, my archery hunting style because of mm -hmm. the hunt like you said, you're almost hunting the hunters to figure out, okay, someone goes through here, you know, where could I've seen deer here where they could maybe move here, you know, so I got to, I have to be here, you know, it's right. just like that, that scenario. Um, but yeah, man, it is. So that's where, man, like kind of just going off of, of what Dimitri said is just that early season is just for, for me is like, my goal is if I could get, you know, just that, as close as I can without getting, you know, spotted out and kind of find these different areas. Like even thinking outside the box, like I sent him a couple waypoints where it's near my house and uh, kind of like by these soccer fields, but it's, it's huntable land and everything like that. And he's like, no one would probably think that I'm like, well, hopefully not, <laughs> you know? Right. So that's another spot where again, like, man, if I could just get out there that first day, like a couple of years ago, I took a dough the first day just to put meat in the freezer. And like, I love that feeling because you get that one shot done out of the way already. And then you just feel comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, but yeah, man, that's, that's kind of where I'm at. No, I think uh, historical data of hunting pressure is just as important, especially on public as historical yeah. data of, of deer movement. I mean, Cause like there was a piece to your story of all the orange. There was a piece that I really liked on a satellite map looked great. Um, it was in a big U the middle was private and it was egg. And so, I mean, gosh, like you can go all around this thing and you can kind of hunt that egg and they're all betting on the, on the public. Um, I go out there one rifle season and um, I get there. I don't, I don't know. It was gets dark at like, 5 30 and i got there at like two two o'clock or something and i start walking down the trail and it's all crp in the front end and i saw two hunters right away um you know one was only 100 yards out the lot the other one was like 200 yards on the on the crp and it's kind of hilly and then there were two more hunters another 100 yards down and these both both these guys had ars so i was like oh that's gonna be great and then I get going, um, I'm going out this point that goes into a swamp. It's this high ground and it's, you know, probably like 20 yards straight down. It's pretty neat little ridge that runs out into the swamp. And I yeah. get to the very cusp of it before it dumps down into the swamp. And there's another hunter out there and he can look back and see all the CRP. And I see him and I'm walking right by him and I go, uh, I'm like, Hey man, how's it going? You know, no, I'm going to drop down into the swamp. I'm going to kind of scoop back here. And he's like, Oh, okay. And then, I, then we hear a boom. And I look over and I see a doe out in the middle of that CRP in front of them four hunters and it's coming our way. And I'm like, oh shit. 
<laughs> boom, boom, boom. And then all of a sudden the AR boys seen it and it just boom, 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 boom. Yeah. I think I caught it, counted like 17 or 18 shots and that deer comes over a ridge and then none of those guys can see it. The guy next to me is freaking out. He's like, where'd that deer go? Where'd it go? I, I don't think he'd shot a deer in years. And he's like, do you, you see him? Do you see him? Where is he? And I was like, I was looking around. I was like, oh, here she comes. She's right here. She's coming into us. And at this point, I'm standing behind a tree with my ears plugged. And I'm just kind of like hiding back, you know, <laughs> leaning back. Like, I hope this guy shoots him before these other people come this way. Yeah. And that doe comes down the hillside right to him at like 80 yards. And he shoots it he dumps it on the spot and he was just loving life. It was, it was the happiest moment of his life right there. I, I don't, I mean, he was so excited and I congratulated him and I was just like, I'm getting out of here before you ask me to help drag it. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, dude, I mean, I like not to, not to like, this is just kind of going on that a little bit. That's where too, like social media plays a little bit of a piece because it was super, super early when last year uh, I took off a, like a Friday afternoon to get out because it was just a nice day and I was sick of being at work. And I'm like, I just want to get out a little bit early, go in the yeah. woods. And it was an area where we had a tree uh, or trail camera. And, but a few days before, do you remember that really nice buck that one guy shot and they said it was on uh, that? Yeah. Like it was a tank. And it was as early on, Anthony, it was, it was very, very early. I mean, week two. Probably, even, yeah. Yeah, like middle, like week and a half into the season. And this tank was just shot. And they said it was over here. So I go in, I'm driving on this on, on the road for public land and uh, didn't see anybody. You know, I'm getting there early, not a, like noon. And when I'm leaving, I saw just, a, actually, I saw a really nice black bear that day. Just He's just gotten a big water uh, in, in the water hole for like, five minutes for me. Uh, but when I left, man, it was just headlight after headlight, after headlight, after headlight, after headlight, after headlight. And it was because this guy had this post on Facebook. <laughs> Everybody knew that it was around this area. So like, well, if one tanks there, there has to be another one, you know? And that's like, I didn't think that way, you know, right. but like afterwards and like, when I said, mom, like, dude, Dimitri, I'm like, I saw like 10 cars leaving. He's like, well, that's because that person said that buck was shot there you know, so probably hunting other deer so yeah. i mean that's something too that other people could you know use to their advantage where i don't know but it ended up not even being shot on that area where i was hunting it was just on the whole different side down the road so. <laughs> yeah and that happens i mean the other part of that story that i was uh that that was significant is that after i got past those hunters within a quarter mile of the lot I didn't see a single other hunter for the next three hours. Um, during gun, like my personal preference during gun season is I like to scout, like hunt scout, because I just like to move around. And if I jump a deer and I got my gun, I can just pull up and shoot it, right? It's not like a bow. So I like to kind of push around and move around and check out areas. And especially in, you know, November, um, I have a lot of swampy areas around me. So they get, yeah, I don't have the mosquitoes. I can kind of get in there. It's fun to just, you know, wander around. I'm not getting hot or anything. Um, but I, I walked for the next three hours and never saw a single other person on this piece of public um, because they were all focused in that one area. Um, and I think that's a beaten horse point, but, you know, getting past that and it's not necessarily, um, I like to call them bait spots. So, cause they bait, they bait people into hunting them. 
they're yeah. like they're like oh man i made it back a half mile or i made it back a mile and then once they get back there it's the first spot they see they never go that second spot or the third or the fourth spot it's like i'm back far enough i'm going to set up here which right. is what i the exact same thing of that story earlier where i said those kids showed up at you know 15 minutes before me in the morning they made it to the first spot they're not going back to the better spot because you know you have whatever say you have a piece of public 70% of the people ain't going to make it a half mile past the lot right there they just aren't and then you of that of the remaining 25% probably 15 to 20% are going to stop at that first spot that they find past that and then you you're left with that remainder where you guys are going and where you guys can drop your cameras and stuff where people just aren't they're not going that those extra steps and right. keep going I mean, yeah. it's just a, it's a really small group of people. I hunt outside. There's a spot that I hunt outside of Madison, Wisconsin, right? 300,000 people in there. And I've had a camera in an area that's a mile and a half back. And I've in five years, I've had one picture of another hunter in there, you know, and during opening gun season, one morning I counted 36 cars. So like there's, there's definitely people there. Yeah. Um, but, and it's the, that right. 36 cars, it's like 2,500 acres or something, but yeah. all the lots are kind of along a single road. And then you break out past those. Um, so yeah, driving down that when I got out of there at like 11 AM, there were still 36 freaking cars in the lot. <laughs> it was nuts. <laughs> Crazy man. Yeah. Um, so to, Okay. So just to, to recap a little bit, um, as far as that early season stuff goes, you know, Jeremy, you got those fields across the road. So yep. that's where the kind of, the deer are kind of bedding there and, and living there and eating there. So the early season, I mean, you got to get lucky to catch them living up on the mountain, right? right. Otherwise, right. most of the time they're living down there, which is something you learned over years of trying to kill them early season. You're just like, they're just not here. Yeah. And, so, and it, even, it even took me two years to figure out that I need, I didn't, I need to get even lower down on, on that mountain side. Uh, like if you go up the mountain on me, like on that same side, my dad has like a, uh, fixed rifle stand. Uh, I mean, he gets during archery, he's mobile. He'll get in a climber. He does that. He doesn't sit in that rifle stand. Uh, and then there is a pre hung stand on the other side, uh, which is maybe 900 yards on the next ridge. And that's kind of like the core area where I was hunting for many years and saw deer. And, uh, but then that's where, again, like when I was looking at it and figured this whole thing out a little bit where I was like, dude, I got to get lower. I got to get closer to where these deer are coming up. And, you know, maybe earlier on, they're not getting all the way up, but they're getting to at least this point. And that's where I'm at right now. And then again, that's where I'm seeing, you know, those deer trails where it's like, it just breaks off. Like, I feel like I'm at the the hub intersection where it's like, there's that turn off, there's that turn off, there's that exit. And it's just kind of just spider webs all out. Nice. Um, yeah. That's, that's a good spot to find. Yeah, man. And that's, <laughs> and that's where, you know, for me, it was just like, finally, I, hopefully I piece this together. And so that's why I'm even more excited for this year to get even the Intel on it, just because I'm like, hopefully I didn't just did not get lucky last year with it. You know what right. I mean? Um, so this is where I'm like, okay, maybe I did figure this out. And mm -hmm. You know, do I need to move again a little, you know, in a different area or whatever? So yeah, man, that's, that's exactly right. It just, it took me that, that core area where they're living down below and it takes time for them to come up later on in the season. 
Dimitri, is that the same for you? Or how are you going about that kind of stuff? Uh, it's a little different, you know, as far as, cause he has the fields. I don't, mm-hmm. so it's kind of just, like I said, putting boots on the ground and, and figuring out cause you know, the betting's not always going to be down low or it's not going to be up high. It could be on the middle of the Ridge. Um, you just got to get in there and then figure out how that is just because on the mountain, we all know, you know, we deal with mountain laurel as well, which is another bedding area, uh, for these PA whitetails. So, um, what do, what are they called? Mountain what? Mountain laurel. So it's the state flower. Uh, so it's kind of like a shrubby bush that gets could be like six to eight feet. Um, it's got leaves, and then in the spring it grows a like a pink flower. Uh, it gets pretty thick and nasty, uh, depending where you're at, uh, which provides very good bedding cover for deer. Um, and that can be anywhere from down by the creek bottom or it can be up on top of the mountain. You just never know unless you get in there and, yeah. and figure out uh, what the terrain likes. And, and then especially with these thickets too, with, with uh, maple saplings as well. I mean, you know, uh, the state game land also clear-cutted some land uh, the last five or six years. So, and a lot of that's growing up and, and creating uh, bedding. So it's constantly changing and it, it's different everywhere you're hunting. So that's what makes it difficult too is, is why I said, you know, when you look at the map, it's just a big green blurb, you know, so you got to get in there and you got to see what it's like and, and learn each area is different and it's going to present different with how the deer are using that. So sure, uh, sure. it's constant a chess match each year and each spot you pick and you just got to kind of piece it together. Yeah. Yeah. I like your, I like your guys' trail camera strategy of not necessarily letting it, letting them soak. I, f- I find myself fighting that trail camera strategy every, every year. Um, cause in, especially in the early season, like if that deer's there, it's probably going to show up in three weeks. Yeah. You know, if you give it three, 21 days, it's probably going to show up. If it's not there, it's, it's just not there. And then also your strategy of using trails versus like kind of destination food sources. I like that a lot as well because you, you gain in a lot more information on which way they're headed and when, you know, mornings and evenings, are they heading in or out? Right. Yep. Um, and then also a lot of the times trails will provide you more daylight opportunities than food sources or destination food sources, which are typically a lot of nocturnal activity. Right. Um, so putting those to use and running those, I think is, um, is very advantageous in your guys' shoes and, and um, a, a smart, a smart move. I like that. I think a lot of people can learn from that and, and you utilize that more. And it makes, it makes like five trail cameras seem like 10, right? Yeah. Cause you're constantly moving them, especially, you know, not everybody can buy 20, 30, 40 trail cameras, not saying that you guys do or anything. Oh, no. I know some guys, you know, uh, I know some guys do and they just dump them. Right. Yeah. Um, but if you don't have that luxury, you know, buying five and just keeping them moving and keeping them going. And then also while you're keeping them moving and keeping them going, you guys are scouting too, which is like, obviously that's great as well. And then you're gaining all that Intel, like you're saying, and you're understanding where they clear cut and where they did all this stuff. Yeah. And I think, and I think too, like in years past, I would have thought like, okay, oh man, we bumped that deer. He's never coming back. You know what I mean? And, but in reality, like, he could and he will probably, you know, within the vicinity. Uh, and that's something too, where, you know, that's something where I think we've grown 
especially myself, like I've definitely grown and, and realized like that situation. You know what I mean? I think when I was younger, mm-hmm. like you spook a deer, he's gone. Like he's a ghost. He'll never be seen again. Uh, and, and definitely not the case. No, I, yeah, I agree with that. I've definitely bumped and dumped some deer yeah. like, Oh, I haven't dumped them, but I've definitely bumped them and then seen them again and bumped <laughs> yeah. them again. Yeah. <laughs> right. Sure. Like, ah, oh, man. Um, <laughs> But all right. No, that's awesome. Um, we're pulling up on just over an hour here, I think, or so. Um, is there anything you guys want to leave, leave anyone with, you know, your best tactic or some great advice that you guys would give anybody going into the early season? Uh, man, mine would be just be, be open to, to learning, uh, and, uh, enjoy it. And like I said, even earlier, like enjoy being comfortable, being uncomfortable, just because it's something where, you know, if that one little nudge is going to help you become a better hunter, like just, just go for it, try it out. And if you fall, if, and if you fail with it, then, then you do, you learn from it and you hopefully you become a better person, better hunter with it. And that's just, uh, you know, that's just something where I, I think it's been awesome to, to have, you know, family friends and that are into this and talking to obviously then brand new people, just, you get a whole new perspective. And even if it's that one little thing, uh, that, that you could learn from, uh, it, it becomes a, a huge, maybe thing in your playbook. Yeah. I, I mean, I would say, uh, like I was talking about before is, you know, learn to look at maps and, and, and kind of study them and, and figure out how that's going to work for you in, in the area hunt. I mean, like I said, I, I've really geeked out on, on looking at maps and, and I really enjoyed looking at them, especially for our Utah hunt where I knew we weren't going to be able to put food, put boots on the ground. Uh, but you know, figure that out and, and, and learn how the topography really adapts to the, the area and the terrain. And, and that's really going to help you out with your scouting, um, and kind of narrow down where you should scout, you know, you only get so many opportunities, especially if you're married and have kids. I mean, you don't get out there every weekend and, and put boots to the ground. So you only have limited time. So figure out where you need to uh, do that scouting at and, um, you know, make the most of each each opportunity. And then I would also say, you know, for new hunters and people coming into it is, you know, don't get caught up in social media and think you have to shoot 180 inch deer every time. You know, just enjoy being out there. If, if you want to shoot, you know, uh, four point every year and, and you're happy and that gets you excited, then do it. You know, I think for us coming from PA, we're not going to be shooting 150 inch deer every year. I mean, that's just not reality. You know, we're lucky if, you know, we consistently get 110, 120 every year, where, especially on public ground. I mean, that's just how it is. And, you know, we're not going to be all putting all these booners on our wall, but you know, we enjoy doing it and we love going after big deer and you know, we're going to do the best and um, try to fill our freezers as well. So I think new hunters kind of get caught up in the social media and you know, all these posts of these monster deers putting out there and feel like they have to do the same. Um, but just enjoy it and whatever excites you uh, go for it, you know? All right. Awesome. No, those are phenomenal tips. And for anybody listening, you guys like these guys, you want to hear more about their mountain hunting and, and their hunting in general in PA, uh, Antler Up Outdoors on Instagram, on Facebook, on YouTube, and they also have a podcast as well. You should definitely go check that out. All right. Well, thanks everybody for joining us. Appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you next time.